This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM streaming live over the internet and archived for your binge listening at ConcordNewsRadio.com. We are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224 9111. I'm joined today by my good buddy, Chris Ryan. He's wearing a backwards baseball cap. He's looking very relaxed, and I'm happy to have you, Chris. Well, I'm glad to be here. You know, it was another another great week uh, in uh, in, uh, the history of American uh, politics, Uh, something I'm interested in because we had a visit here from a very special guest who's going to join us now on our show, the President of France, Monsieur Macron. Hello, I'm so glad to be here with you, Paul, on your show of the record. But I understand this is on the record, so I will be very careful in what I say. My name, Macron, is like macaron, but not a macaron. I am not a little sweet patootie. I am a Macron, uh, and I am the president of France. I'm happy to visit your country. Well, I, I understand, Mr. President, that you... Um, you, you, you were with our president, Donald Trump. I was with uh, your 45. That is true. Um, even though, you know, he pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, I still want to make sure that our relationship, which is so important, our important relationship between France and the United States is uh, very good. So, so when I see your 45, I give him big kiss. He was so sweet. I tell you, though, he smells okay. I kiss him both cheeks. He he then comes to me and he brushes the dandruff from my suit. I say, "Say, brush the dandruff off your suit." Brush the dandruff from my suit. This is a very very special suit. Of course, my suits are custom made for me in Paris to fit my my elegant frame. But he brushes the dandruff off and. Understand because I I know about all subjects that as Jane Goodall, the anthropologist, would say, when the aging male gorilla, who's in the in the forest, approaches the younger alpha male, which is me, I am the younger alpha male, on, and tries to tries to groom the younger alpha male. It is a way of submitting to the power. Of the younger alpha male, I think that uh, Monsieur Donald Trump was submitting because 
you know, after all, the, the Congress much preferred my speech than anything he has ever said. Well, Mr. President, thank you for joining us. It's been uh, very illuminating, especially about how the president smells. That is the kind of thing that only the president of France would notice and comment on on radio. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was President Macron of France, actually Macron, Macron. Of from Macron, Macron, Macron of France, Macron of France, speaking to us exclusively on Off the Record I with think Paul. That's the Holmes. only uh, interview he did stateside, right? It is the only interview, and we were happy to have him. And then. Also, Off the record with Paul Hose, the very best, the, the very fakest in the, fake news. The very fakest of fake news in tongues, <laughs> speaking in tongues. <laughs> and also, of course, this week, uh, the president's pick for the Veterans Administration. You're not going to talk about North Korea? Uh, not, not yet. Not oh. yet. Not yet. Haven't gotten a little rocket man yet. But the, 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 the former little rocket man, now honorable. But let's just talk for a moment about Ronnie Jackson. Ronnie. Rear Admiral Ronnie Jackson served numbers of presidents as physician, hands out Ambien and other drugs like they were candy. And apparently the White House just didn't get their vetting process together well enough to know that there were other little problems, little bobbles lurking in Ronnie Jackson's background, and Ronnie Jackson withdrew his nomination. Why should he submit himself to the character assassination of the fact that he had never run any kind of large organization, that he uh, apparently had some uh, problems uh, that had been undisclosed by the White House. The whole thing was a true disaster uh, for the White House. And now the president says he's got somebody else in mind. Um, and I think he's likely to uh, bring in a nurse practitioner from South Dakota uh, who he thinks uh, will probably do a pretty good job. Who knows what criteria he uses to pick people? It's mostly, do I, is, do I like this guy or this gal? And do I think they'll be loyal? Do you think he even knows who any of these people are? I do. I do. I think he, he, he I, I know that he knew Ronnie Jackson because Ronnie Jackson uh, was the guy who said, golly, uh, for a guy who lives on KFC, Pepsi, uh, and McDonald's, who, who's, who, you know, who's like, who, who's, 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 he's the color. you think he knows? Uh, I, he's the no, color no, I of a French fry for he, a guy who's the, the new color person, of a French the new fry. I think South he's Dakota, really healthy. you think he knows who that is? He doesn't know anybody. He's, you <laughs> well, know, I mean, he, he's, he's got a, look. Like Nick Willard, who everyone has a lot of nice things to say about the job he's done in, in Manchester. I sound like Trump, but um, as Manchester police chief, has now been appointed as a U.S. Marshal. I mean, there's, there's a lot of. There's a bureaucratic process that goes along with these appointments where not, you know, just about any president does not know everybody that they appoint to various positions. But I feel like, I feel like, yes, the president knew who Ronnie Jackson was. He knows who Scott Pruitt is and so forth. But I, I feel as though he has, you know, absolutely no idea who the overwhelming majority of the people that he appoints to positions are. Well, wait they a just, second. Someone tells him that they've been loyal you know, and they've been good and this yeah, yeah. is a good person. Even and, Donald Trump knows I would give him the credit of knowing many of the people uh, who his administration has appointed because there haven't been very many. He is so far behind on his appointments, um, of which, by the way, folks, I'm a beneficiary because I serve in a federal uh, position where he could uh, appoint somebody new to take it over, but but he hasn't. Um, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And I will say on the appointment front, I just received news today that the chair— 
of the National Endowment on the Arts, Jane Chu, who has done a truly spectacular job uh, of uh, advocating uh, and educating uh, people in Congress about the value of arts and cultures in our uh, culture and our economy, is leaving as of June 4th. Uh, that is a, a blow, frankly, to the National Endowment because the president uh, in his budget has wanted to eliminate the National Endowment, although Congress uh, gave a $3 million bump to the agency's paltry budget, uh, bumping it to $152 million for 2019, um, which, by the way, contributes to a huge impact for arts and culture in our economy. So I'm curious as to what is going to happen and who is going to follow Jane Chu. Um, I'm wondering if the president is going to appoint somebody who just wants to close down the agency. Um, And so I've been thinking about, well, if that happens, do I stay? Do I go? Do I stay and fight the good fight with whoever that is? Do I Do I uh, take the pitched battle on or do I uh, gracefully retire? It's it's an interesting question. (laughs) I was was wondering how you're going to leave that for me. I don't know. Do you want me to beg you to stay or or go? Well, you could beg me to stay, but it it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, what what would be most effective if somebody is appointed whose only brief is to close down a federal agency? It's pretty hard to serve on the advisory board. I think that's, you know, honestly, a lot of the, um, you know, the entrenched individuals um, in on various, you know, um, know, committees like you serve on or in uh, aspects of the federal government have had to ask themselves that question. You know, do you stay and fight for what you believe in, um, or do you go because this is not what you believe in? And um, it's been interesting to see how people have have reacted. And you know, I, I've long thought that, and I think that this is fairly commonly known that a lot of the federal government has gotten bloated, and there is a lot of um, you know duplicitous spending. And um, duplicative, duplicative spending. Yeah, like, duplicitous means means corrupt. Well, I, or or well, then, or or lying. Um, duplicative means doubled up. I'd say that perhaps both uh, apply. Oh, right there, kaching, kaching, <laughs> kabong, kabong. Um, but I think that um, you know, and again, it, the individuals have to make those their own you know, determinations in regards to what they're going to do. But it's yeah, it's it's a difficult um, it's a difficult thing. the 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 problem has been that. The Trump administration, how they have gone about, um, you know, whether it's with the EPA or the National Endowment for the Arts, um, you have to be thoughtful in how you scale back and just not appointing people or without or you know doing things without any real thought as to how the how it's going to affect things is not how you go about um, it's cutting uh, spending. I mean, it's it's kind of go, goes back to you know the process of uh, sequester. Exactly. With the sequester, where you would um, just take you know, 10% off the top and not look at what is best practices, what's working, what isn't working. And it seems like that is the mindset here. We're just going to cut spending without really thinking about what's effective spending, what isn't f- effective spending, and, and so forth. Well, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, the, certainly, uh, the, the agenda of this administration has been to roll back protections for the environment, to roll back um, efforts of the federal government in education, to roll back uh, diplomacy, 
just when we when we need it most. Uh, these are all policies I disagree with. And the president's budget, which was not followed by Congress, cut 65 small agencies and efforts here in New Hampshire, uh, which included, I mean, uh, nationally and in New Hampshire, um, included the um, uh, northern uh, regional, northern border regional economic development commission, which has sent important funds into New Hampshire for economic redevelopment in the North Country. It's it's not thoughtful uh, because the investments, these small investments by the federal government, um, clearly have are very important. But you've got an administration that is thinking ideologically in a knee-jerk way without really going through the process. In concluding here, North Korea, could Donald Trump receive a Nobel Peace Prize for his role in bringing North Korea and South Korea to the table to have peace uh, for the first time since 1953? It would be a remarkable development for someone who, uh, as you folks in the listening audience know, I don't think much of, uh, whose crazy policies of I'll tell you now, I'll tell you something different tomorrow, I might say yes, I might say no, I might say maybe, uh, actually produces some movement from North Korea. If the little rocket man uh, who has now visited South Korea for the first time and South Korea can make peace, and if, in fact, we could... Get them to actually denuclearize uh, because they'd like to feed their people. And if Donald Trump won the Nobel Peace Prize because of that, I would be in the front row cheering because it would be good for the world. And I that's agree. more important you have to give credit. than anything else. You have, I mean, it's like the Inspector Clouseau foreign policy, um, but still, for people who are unfamiliar, he would always he, he would was, find a way to solve the bungle his way into solving the case. And I, I don't think that the president really had a great strategy here. I think he just kind of what he did, he reacted intuitively. But you have to give credit to him for being successful. This is something that other presidents have have spent tons of time and focus and sent envoys and tried to figure out. And Donald Trump has been able to, um, it would appear, have success here where no one else has. So credit, credit to him. Credit I don't where, know how he did it. Credit where credit, credit to him. Credit where credit is due. And let's hope from your lips to God's ears that that things move along and it works out. And I will be the first to eat a large plate of grilled crow about Donald Trump if it happens. It's off the record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com for your binge listening pleasure, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Folks, don't go away. We'll be back with an exciting interview about the last show in the season of the Concord Community Players, and it should be a doozy. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet 
and archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com for your binge-listening pleasure. We are coming to you from our bunker deep beneath the earth on Reddington Road in Concord, New Hampshire, and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224 9111. I'm really pleased to be joined by Betty Lent. Betty is the director of the Concord Community Players' last show of the season, Shakespeare in Hollywood. Betty, welcome to Off the Record. Thanks for having me. So, Shakespeare, the bard, the inestimable, the fabulous, the progenitor of so much important language and culture for all of uh, Western civilization, uh, hardly ever got to Hollywood. It strikes me that uh, the juxtaposition of the man who wrote Hamlet and Hollywood somehow is not usual. What's going on? Well, what's going on is that um, in 1935, there was a film version of A Midsummer Night's Dream uh, directed by a very famous Austrian director, Transplant, named Max Reinhardt. Max Reinhardt. I knew him very well. <laughs> Max Reinhardt was one of my favorite directors when I was working in Hollywood. He was so he was very big, very, very big. He, he, he was my director on so many of my movies, so I was very happy to work with him. Uh, unfortunately, he only directed the one film, which was A Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, um, my, many of the, <laughs> the movies he directed me and were, were done over in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was a big mm-hmm. star there. Yeah. Anyway, he, um, he directed a, a version of A Midsummer Night's Dream based on his very famous theater production at the Hollywood Bowl. And so um, the play itself is about the making of that film in which um, Oberon and Puck, Two of the main characters from A Midsummer Night's Dream, from the famous bard, um, are somehow magically transplanted to the movie set and are hired to play themselves. In Whoa, the that is really inventive casting. Yes. That's really, that's really <laughs> something. Who wrote this show? Uh, it was written by a man named Ken Ludwig, who is uh, pretty famous. He's written things like Lend Me a Tenor, Moon Over Buffalo, uh, the book for uh, the musical Crazy for You, among many other um, uh, shows. He's also written a wonderful book called How to Teach Your Children Shakespeare. He's a very, uh, very knowledgeable Shakespeare scholar as well. So um, it was just, he's just the right mix to mash up Shakespeare with 1930s firecrack dialogue. So this is the last show of the <laughs> community player season. That's correct. When does it go on? Where does it go on? How do people get tickets? Let's talk about that. We'll, we'll probably repeat it a couple of times during the show, but sure. let's start now by telling people where they can make sure not to miss Shakespeare in Hollywood. Right. Um, it is playing uh, on May 4, 5, and 6, May 4 and 5, at 7.30 p.m. and May 6 at 2 p.m. at the City Auditorium downtown on Prince Street in Concord. Um, One could purchase tickets at the door or by going on to the Community Players website. I believe it's communityplayersofconcord.org is the web 
address. So the community players have been around a long time. Yes, this is the end of our 90th season. So 90 years strong. You may or may not know, at one point I directed a show for the community players back uh, in the... Well, probably early 80s, um, a, a long time ago, and appeared in a couple of productions on stage. So I have a really big warm spot in my heart uh, for for the players. Um, I, I keep threatening to come back from, from oh, time I to time. Oh, I don't think it would be a threat. I think it would be wonderful for you to come back. There you go. <laughs> so, so tell me about you. I mean, here you are directing this show. Mm-hmm. What... Um, do, is is that are you a professional director? Is this all you do? Um, no, it's not all I do. I am actually the um, theater director at Cobra Northwood Academy in Northwood, New Hampshire. I'm a theater teacher there, and uh, I teach English classes as well. Um, so I kind of do this for a living. Um, I have directed many shows for the players, um, not for the last few years. As a matter of fact, the last thing that I directed, the last show that I directed for the players was A Midsummer Night's Dream when we did it a number of years ago. Well, that's a perfect segue yes. into Shakespeare in Hollywood. Yes. Uh, that is, that's a really fun juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. So t- take me back. I want to know about what you've made a, a career uh, in theater. That's correct. Um, you made a career, it sounds, directing, mm-hmm. teaching, yep. um, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Where, where did it start? What, 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 got, what set you on the road? When, uh, when did it happen? When um, was that magical moment? <laughs> it started for me in high school. Um, and as a lot, of, a lot of actors and directors will tell you, um, I had a wonderful theater program at my high school in Connecticut. And um, I went to um, uh, undergrad for theater. Where? At the University of Connecticut. Uh Uh-huh. And um, then I just, I've done lots and lots of community theater through the years. So so. let's... And uh, teaching theater. So, and I'm not even going to let you get away with that, which is interesting, (laughs) but I, so let's, let's just track what the, the remarkable trajectory that that brought you you know here you are today but so you graduate from college mm-hmm. um, studying theater what did you do what did I do I worked in retail uh-huh and then decided that I didn't um, I didn't want to go to New York I was not ready to do that so I um, worked in retail um, got married and ended up in New Hampshire <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, for and then yeah. found some teaching jobs in New Hampshire. And for, you know, I, I'm thinking back. I I I went to Dartmouth College. Mm-hmm. I studied theater. I did a lot of I did a lot of theater there, and and headed to New York. And I tell mm-hmm. people I had eight careers in show business before right. I ended up going to law school. I was a music director for a show. Mm-hmm. I acted in shows. I acted in films with Jules Dassin uh, directing. Mm-hmm. I made music for shows. I did music. I produced radio shows. I had a play that I'd written, done off, off-Broadway, and then I headed north to mm-hmm. law school and then to New Hampshire. You know, there are all kinds of paths that, that, right. that get us here. Right, so, right. How, so you've been in New Hampshire for most of your life? I've uh, been in New Hampshire since 1981. Right. So. And, and what, what kind, where, where have you taught? Um, I taught at um, Alton Central School when it was, in the, when it was a K-12 school for mm-hmm. a while. Um, and and I've been at Co Brown now for eighteen years. So, so 
you know, what's real. And I've been with the players since 1981, since I moved here. So let me ask you this, and this it's a little off topic That's from okay. talking about Shakespeare in Hollywood, yep. which is the Community Players' final show of the season, May 4th, 5th, and 6th at the Auditorium, the Community uh, Beautiful Audi in Concord, directed by my guest Betty Lent. Don't miss it. Get your tickets. It's going to be great, I know, because... Betty is a sparkling personality and clearly an accomplished director. But, but you know, I, I'm, I sit on the National Council on the Arts, mm-hmm. which oversees the National Endowment on the Arts, which is a competitive grants uh, program uh, agency, small agency of the federal government mm-hmm. that supports not-for-profit right. um, arts. It supports arts in education. It, it, it has very broad, broad perspective. Ninety percent of American schools no longer have dance and drama programs. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge number of schools that uh, where arts are cut first. It seems like if you want to save money, you cut the arts programs. Yet we now know from from objective studies that the value of arts in education uh, is enormous and it's immense that the impact of the arts and cultural and economic uh, entertainment sector in our economy is huge. 4.3% of the GDP, $740 billion a year, a bigger sector than construction, a bigger sector than um, tourism, a bigger sector than transportation. It's huge. And that people in the for-profit world usually cut their teeth in school or in the not-for-profit world. Correct. So tell me, um, it's, what, you know, what have you seen in your career as a teacher about the benefit of uh, theater programs for students and what happens to them and where they go on in their lives? What, why? why? Why do theater in school? Well, to start with, it teaches kids how to get along with each other, which is huge, because if they're in a show, they need to get along with each other in order to create the product that they uh, are have set out to make. Um, the other things, it teaches kids how to make deadlines, because you have opening night, and you can't not be ready to open. You can't say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. You have to be able to do that. Um, it also teaches a huge number of skills. Um, communication skills are key for any um, any career. Um, so it teaches kids how to be able to um, react in front of an audience. It also teaches them pretty like life skills, like um, how to how to plug in a light bulb or how to how to build something, how to paint things. Um, how to, um, it teaches them a little bit about everything. I, I I like to think of, um, a theater education as being a really well-rounded education, um, because you have to know how to read, you have to know how to write, you have to know how to research, you have to know, um, if you're working with a text on a show, you have to know where to go to get the information, um, particularly if it's a period, um, kind of show. So it really is a it really provides a well well-rounded education for students even if they're not going to be professional uh, theater people. Um, I know that uh, former students of mine who are not in the theater world um, have come back and said, oh my gosh, my very favorite 
time of my life was my high school theater program. And I think that that's huge. I, I really, really do. I, I agree with you. We're talking with <laughs> Betty Lent, who is directing the Concord Community Players production of Shakespeare in Hollywood. Uh, a fun look at the Bard as the Bard travels to the 1930s in Hollywood and a, a production uh, with fantasy and fantastical stuff, uh, which you can see May 4th, 5th, and 6th at the Audi right here in Concord. Don't miss it. Get your tickets. Uh, we are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com. We are going to take a very short break uh, for some words from those who support this station and important messages. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be back with Betty Lent to talk a little more about Shakespeare in Hollywood. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL, AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet and archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com, where you can binge listen to Off the Record to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. And we're back with our special guest, Betty Lent, the director of the Concord Community Players production of Shakespeare in Hollywood, coming up May 4th, 5th and 6th at the Community Auditorium, fondly known as the Audi, um, with a great cast, a great production. The players have been around for 90 years. This is the end of that 90th year season, and it should be a doozy. So tell us a little bit, without giving it away, tell us a little bit about the show. Uh, who are the characters? Uh, what kind of happens in general? And uh, let's talk a little bit about who the actors and actresses are that are going to bring it to life. Well, <clears throat> the the show, as I said, takes it's a it's based on a real event. It's based on the filming of the 1935 uh, film version of A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's very very fancy, huge production with Mendelssohn music behind it and all of that. And so some of the characters in the play are real, are based on real people. So um, all the Warner Brothers make an appearance. Um, we also have James Cagney makes an appearance. Joey Brown makes an appearance. Oh, the director makes James an appearance. James Cagney appearance. makes an appearance yes. on Shakespeare in Hollywood. <laughs> yes, this is does. really interesting. Right, because James Cagney in the or original film played one of the characters. 
Um, uh, I'm not going to give away which I character. I didn't know but... that Jimmy, you know, I knew Jimmy really well, but I didn't know that Jimmy was like a Shakespeare kind of guy. I thought he was more like, you know, cell block number 97. <laughs> I really didn't know about his Shakespeare stuff. I gotta t- I'm got i going to have to talk to him about that. Yeah, maybe you should, but he did a wonderful job in the film, and he um, he... When the Warner Brothers made the film, it was on the condition that they used some of the 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 actors that they had in their stable. Um, stable. So um, we also have um, Dick Powell mm-hmm. is there. Um, there's a character based on Olivia de Havilland, although it's not she's not named Olivia de Havilland, um, and um, a couple of other characters as well that are based on um, real people. And, and, and can you actually see this film? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's very readily available on DVD. Someone told me that it was on uh, uh, Turner Classic Movies uh-huh. recently. Then caught it on there. Um, so, or they, you can get it on Hulu. It's it's readily available to see. Um, so the the play actually um, is a, as I said before, it's a mashup of 1930s um, style. And Hollywood, that big glitz and glamour, um, hooray for Hollywood kind of vibe, with with the Shakespeare added in. Yeah, and there's certainly. also a you know there's a little bit of a, another character in the play is the um, his name is Will Hayes. He is um, uh, was part of the censorship board, the Hollywood Code for what was clean in movies and what wasn't, and he had very many objections to this film when it was made so why um well uh it you know there's in in a midsummer night's dream someone changes into an ass <laughs> and a fairy queen falls in love with the ass so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh well, kind of sexy stuff in there. You that... mean human, human ass? Yep. Love is it was was a problem for yeah for yeah. You know we become much we become much more liberal right. these days, but uh, even still, I think right. that somehow the you know in 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 Shakespeare it was one thing it was done quite fancifully. These right. days it would probably be a tawdry exploration of something we don't want to even talk about. That's right. But so the censorship board was probably sensitive yeah. to, to things like that. And you know in the early movies, the 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 the, the earliest movies, there was. Um, routinely fairly salacious content. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the early movies yep. did not, you know, the Stor- Stormy Daniels is nothing new. That's I mean, true. in terms of Very the early true. movies, they are, yeah. they early on got the sense that yep. you could show stuff on uh, the films that would uh, light people's passions up. Yeah. And there, there was a lot of that. Not, I mean, Hollywood was, was, was pretty careful in part because there was this censorship board. Right, right. So, in the play Shakespeare in Hollywood, I imagine he must play a a, a kind of fun role. I'm betting it's, it's a, a I'm betting it's a comedy. It's uh, a, and I, it's a, it is a comedy. I'm for betting sure. it's a comedy, and I'm betting he is one of the the instigators of a lot of comic activity. Yes, there is. There's um, this particular uh, the actor who's playing him is Chris Demers, who is very familiar to Concord audiences. Um, and he is he gets the most out of it because he's really the bad guy. He wants to shut the movie down. So ah. he he but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of funny physical kinds of things that happen 
in the show. So Right. So in terms of the production itself and bringing this production to life, um, I imagine that there's been a lot of work done on the sets and costumes. Yes. Um, our costume designer is Wally Pino, who um, has who designs our uh, some our sets pretty regularly. And it's a wonderful set. It's um it's very fragmented. It's very magical. It kind of it's gonna probably hopefully float across the stage a little bit. Um, the lighting design is by Stephen Meyer, who is also um, with the new Audi system with the the LEDs. We can have a um, a myriad of colors that will will enhance what we're doing. Um, the the 1930s costumes. Interestingly enough, there's 30s costumes and Renaissance costumes, be, depending on what scenes of the the play that. They're filming at whatever particular time. So Gay Bean has designed the costumes for that. And we have lots and lots of other people working on the show. So. And uh, who are some of the, uh, you, ma- you mentioned Chris Demers, right. who are some of the other local celebrities who are appearing on stage? Um, well, Chris's wife, Paula Demers, is also uh, in the show. She's playing Puck, actually. Um, in the show, and she's wonderful and funny, and that. Um, we also have other players members, uh, Greg Fisher, who has been in a number of shows. Our friend Pat Delzell has been in a number of our player shows. He's also in the cast. Um, and then we have a lot of new people, too. Um, it's really interesting that um, we have people who um, are not Concord celebrities that came because they wanted to do this particular show. And what's, um, oh, I forgot to mention Katie Dunn, who is playing the Olivia de Havilland role. Um, but there are these people who just ca- came to uh, auditions and we cast them, not knowing them. And the chemistry among the old people and the older people, the you know standard players members and the newer cast members is unbelievably wonderful. Hmm. Um, they're, they're, everyone is having a wonderful time and they're really professional and they're they're working really hard at getting this show the way it needs to be and as funny 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 stuff it's wonderful so <clears throat> as you were sitting in the casting sessions mm-hmm. um what were you looking for well part of it was i was looking for some of the people who kind of looked like the celebrities that they were playing but also we were looking for comic timing, a lot of comic timing, because there's, uh, there's several sequences in the show that are very fast, um, dialogue popping back and forth. And also um, I, was, uh, I was also looking for a, a little bit of chemistry right there at the, at the auditions. And sometimes you can tell that and sometimes you can't. And I just, we just landed on a cast that really gets along with each other and they're having a good time I think <laughs> and um, they're just bringing everything that they have to the table which is really quite wonderful as a director when you're directing comedy what's what's your biggest challenge um, the biggest challenge is the timing and getting the getting the um, the right set of timing for people and then really um, just turning them loose and letting them uh, get their get their comic sense um, by themselves because sometimes that's something that you can't teach or you can't direct. Sometimes it's just a natural thing. And then, then as a director, you get to hone it to it and, and, and tighten up the cues and all of that. Kind Are of there stuff. people in the cast who've never been on stage before? Um, 
I don't think so. I think everyone in the cast has at least been in one show. Right. Before. So, I mean, you know, the it's really funny from an audience perspective when people, um, if everything is working right, mm-hmm. uh, nobody's thinking about the timing. Right. What they're what they're thinking is they're not thinking. They're right. just laughing and experiencing it. Right. But to make that happen on stage or to help make that happen and get everybody uh, in the same, you know, on the same wavelength or in theater parlance to to understand all the beats and and hitting it, hitting it right on the beats is sometimes a pretty big challenge for the the director, especially with amateurs. Yeah, I think to me. I think comedy is harder in many, many ways than drama. How so? Is. In, in that um, comedy, you have to rely on the timing of things and the way the, and, and the surprises. When you're directing a drama, you don't have to necessarily rely too much on um, the surprises. Um, the timing is, is everything in, in any theater. But I, I think that getting the getting the comic timing right and landing the jokes just the way they need to land and landing the looks of people and the actions of people um, just the way they need to land takes more practice, Mm -hmm. takes more skill. It's harder to do, I think. Right. So as an actor, it's um, if, you know, depending on your level of experience, Mm -hmm. it can be a challenge. Especially if you're working with an actor uh, or actress who um, is not quite uh, on the same wavelength, may not be as experienced, may not be experienced in comedy. Um, And then as an actor, you're facing a, a real challenge about right. I can get my timing I, you know I know what my timing is right. and I know that here I'm going to my beat is beat beat look wait right. beat speak but but maybe I'm about to be stepped on by somebody else right. or maybe right. the the look look beat beat speak I'm going to get nothing back right. and and then the director has a real task to help that exchange get back into the harmonic flow of <laughs> of the action. Right. And and sometimes you just have to break it down and say, okay, you take this in three chunks. That you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Um I think that um and I have a couple of actors who have had to break it down. Um because all of them are at different skill levels. So my job is to make them look as though they're at the same skill level, which is a difficult um, task sometimes. I think it's the biggest challenge in directing anything, anything, (laughs) but but often, especially when you're directing community theater, is to help uh, create a seamless whole out of very different experience and training um, and um, and talent and abilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and you know, people we're in. You're in it for fun, right. um, but people, the community players, have always taken that fun very seriously right. to a very high standard of excellence. Yeah. And so, matching that standard of excellence to the yeah. to the abilities and experience of people 
uh, adds to the director's job because right. if you're if you're casting for Broadway or you're casting for off Broadway and you're down in New York, um, you're going to get a cast of people that w- has enormous experience right. and 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 <coughs> the directing job becomes a little bit different. Right. Um, so, but it's it's all. Great fun. And, it is great fun. You know, I mean, it's, and, and the show is going to be hilarious, I can tell. It, it, the show is hilarious, and we're not even on the stage yet. So yeah, right. So that's, that's, you know, well, that's, wonderful. That's really, that's really <laughs> great. And, yep. and the community players just always, you know, have, do a great job, yeah. a community institution. I'm really glad to meet you, and I really appreciate your coming on to talk about a, a broad range of <laughs> subjects from <laughs> arts in the schools to what yep. it takes to put together a great right. cast. I'm speaking with Betty Lent, who is the director of the Concord Community Players production of Shakespeare in Hollywood, a fantastical fantasy-filled adventure that brings the bard to 1930s Hollywood with all the glamour that you can imagine, hilarity, will ensue May 4th, 5th, and 6th at the Audi in Concord. Uh, Don't miss this show. It's the last show for this season, the 90th season for the Concord Community Players. Betty, thanks for joining us on Off the Record. Thank you so much for having me. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Folks, don't go away. We'll be back to wrap up this edition of Off the Record after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM streaming live over the Internet. Archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, this week on Off the Record, we were delighted to welcome French President Macaron otherwise known as Macron, to uh, our microphones, his only interview in the United States. I was very glad to be with you, uh, Monsieur Eudes. Uh, we had a delightful talk about uh, 45, the carrot up cantaloupe, I kissed him on both cheeks. We talked about Ronnie Jackson uh, and the fact that Donald Trump can't get a break with those he nominates. And wouldn't it be ironic if Donald Trump was the guy who brought North Korea and South Korea and the world together in harmony? And we were happy to welcome Betty Lent, the director of Shakespeare in Hollywood, the Concord Community Players' closing show for this, their 90th season, May 4th, 5th, and 6th at the Auditorium in Concord. Don't miss it. Be there. Or be square. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. Thanks to our listeners. We'll be back next week with more off the record with Paul Hodes.